0: Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. I've been so excited to uh, to come back and be back here on this podcast. Uh, this Sunday morning and just sharing with you all again there are um there sometimes there are just places that are uniquely energizing when speaking and this was this was that this is that this is that kind of place there's a a good like health and spirit and just joy in the room and it was just it was just energizing and joyful to be with you last week and it's great to be back I've been looking forward to to this uh for seven days so um thanks for having me back (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we're good. Uh, we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We did Matthew five last week. We're on to Matthew six this week, and covering such large swaths of Scripture can uh, it can feel a little bit like drinking from a fire hose uh, at times. There's a lot of stuff to like keep track of, right? a lot of details, a lot of stuff. And sometimes the Christian life can feel like that a little bit, right? There's so many things to keep, keep track of, to keep straight. I should be doing this, shouldn't be doing that, what, whatnot. So many ideas or, or whatnot. Um, and I, I think it's good to, to feel a little bit of that overwhelmed, like, ah, I can't quite keep all this straight. And that's true, we, we can't. The, the, the point is, the bigger picture of all of the Sermon on the Mount here is this continual, like, pushing us back towards dependence on Jesus, We can walk faithfully, but we cannot do it on our own. We can walk in a righteous way, but we cannot do it on our own. There are a lot of ways to go about being righteous that are not actually God-honoring. Not actually all that righteous. And the big picture of the Sermon on the Mount is trying to push us back towards that dependence. And we, we see that in our passage here this morning. I just want to dip into... Uh, The first verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Matthew 6, verse 1, real quick. Just take a quick look at this. Be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful. You might have a translation that says, uh, warning, (laughs) beware. Or maybe you have a translation that says like, "Be careful." The, the word here, I, I grew up um, in a, a little bit more um, of a, a strict uh, upbringing, a strict, like stricter uh, view of uh, Christianity, and so I hear "beware," and I immediately like my. Uh, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I like, start to feel a little bit guilty and I'm like, oh no, what have I done wrong? What is going, what, like, did I break something? And beware, like, it's a helpful translation because Jesus is trying to warn us from something, uh, keep us from something dangerous, right? Um, but sometimes that language of beware doesn't quite resonate and that, that's, that's true for me. So be careful or the, the word actually can be, can be translated pay close attention to. Be careful slash pay Careful attention. And we're doing this series on the Sermon on the Mount and spiritual formation. I just want to say, spiritual formation begins here. It begins with paying attention. It begins with noticing that my heart is being shaped in a certain way, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. I am, the immaterial part of me is being shaped a certain direction, whether I know it or not. And spiritual formation is saying, I ought to know it. I ought to be paying attention to it. So Jesus launches us off into chapter 6 here, reminding us of this heart habit cycle that we talked about a little bit last week. If we want to know what the heart is doing, we just look at the habits of our life. And if we want to tweak the way that our heart is growing, then we start to ingrain some new habits in our lives. Last week we looked at the upside-down way of Jesus in the Beatitudes and the inside-out way that Jesus is calling us to with these, these few, like, moral rules. Like, there is a morality to following Jesus, and yet morality is not the only point. Jesus is targeting—the reason Jesus talks about morality is he's like, I, I don't so much care about the out, outward act. The outward act is important. I don't so much care about that as I do your heart. I care about your heart. This heart and habit cycle, how do we form good habits? Dave, you, you tagged that line a bunch of times at the, at the end of the stand, right? Offer my heart completely to you. God, I want to offer my heart completely to you. I want to offer my heart completely to you. And there's some resonance in that when we sing that, right? But then the question is, how? How do I do that? How do I wake up Monday morning and do that a little bit better than I did last Monday morning? How do we get there? Well, there are... There's some give and take, there's some, there's some ebb and flows, there's some good days and there's bad days, of course. But there are also habits of the heart that we can cultivate over, over time. There are historic habits of the heart for a healthy spirituality as well, and they're called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. And the beginning of the passage this morning gives us a clue as to what some of these helpful disciplines could then be. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. The first discipline, the one that overrides actually kind of, is kind of an umbrella for the next few that we're going to look at as well, is that of secrecy. And not like trying to sneak around secrecy, but rather owning the private element of our walk with Jesus, listen to what he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If the point of following Jesus in our in our lives at some point becomes outward recognition, oh wow, look how holy that person is. We've immediately missed it. We've immediately missed it. So how that how then do we own that private element of our lives. Well, Jesus gives three examples, the three disciplines where we can apply this idea of like secrecy, of like keeping to ourselves. And that is in giving, and then in prayer, and then in fasting. That's the first half of this uh, this here passage this morning. Let's look at verse 2. The spiritual discipline of giving. So, when you give to the needy, love that, when you give to the needy, not if, not when it's convenient, not if it happened to happen to you, nope. When you give to the needy, Jesus is like, it's a little passive-aggressive, right? When you give to the needy, when, right? Love passive-aggressive Jesus. So when, when you give to the needy, how do we do it? Do not announce it with trumpets. Maybe not a direct invitation of ours today, but you know, you get the point. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. We're going to hear this phrase a couple times and just hear every time. They have exactly what they want. You can do this. You can give in such a way that you can be noticed by others. We see examples of it every single day. You do not have to look hard to find your favorite celebrity telling you all about how generous they are. Right? It's easy to poke fun at the celebrities in this realm. But the truth is, it's a, it's a heart condition for us as well. We like a pat on the back, don't we? We like to be recognized. And you can do that. Jesus is saying, you can do that. But remember that that phrase from the very beginning, be very careful. If your giving becomes more about the pat on the back than it does about the actual gift. Be very careful. Instead, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be, here it is, in secret, private. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. If we were to make the being seen or make the reward the point of the whole thing, we would miss the heart of Jesus. The discipline of giving. It's one of the things that Jesus talks about the most, actually. Money, what we do with our money. We're, we're going to run into it again before the end of the passage today. What we do with our money. What we do with our money. There, <laughs> there's so many folks who claim the name of Jesus, claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet end up being so noisy about things that Jesus talked about so, so rarely. We can make a lot of noise about the things that Jesus didn't talk about a whole lot. There's a lot of clutter, a lot of chatter. It is far less convenient to be deeply interested in the things that Jesus talks about a lot. It's hard. It's inconvenient, and this is one of those things. What we do with our money is one of the clearest indicators of whether we are living a life of faith or not. It's not where you stand on, on issue A or issue B or issue Z. It's what, what are you doing with the stuff that you have? This is a, the clearest marker of whether you are a person of faith or not. And I want to be very very clear here. God doesn't ever warn against actually being wealthy. God warns against loving being wealthy and being obsessed with what we have or even with what we don't have. It goes both ways. If your obsession is with with what you have or with what you don't have, do you see how that is exactly standing in opposition to the life of dependence that this whole sermon is about? And what's a good antidote for that obsession with our wealth? Giving. Give it away. Instead of following the American dream to make every effort to be as wealthy and as comfortable as you can, make every effort to be as generous as you can. Be absurdly generous. Give away more than you think that you should. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Generosity is the antidote For greed, we're six weeks from Christmas, and yet the Christmas commercials are already coming in. And by Christmas commercials, I mean like the funneling into consumerism, right? Generosity is such a great antidote for consumerism. We we fall into it so easily, right? But Jesus says, if you want your heart to be edged, kingdom word. If there's a part of your heart that gets a little nervous about how much you do have or you don't have, the discipline, that regular habit of giving away is exactly what you need. What better way to say, Jesus, I actually do trust you in this season. I do trust that you have it together. We're going to come back and talk about... Mm -hmm where our treasures are in a bit. But for right now, let's just leave that right there. How could we engage the discipline of giving more faithfully? Discipline of giving is followed by the discipline of prayer. Verse 5, and when you pray, again, not if you pray, but when you pray, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by others. So, so far we got folks who are blowing trumpets to let you know that they're giving, and we got folks standing outside praying loudly on the street corners because they want you to know just how holy they are. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. They have exactly what they want. They're getting noticed. They are getting noticed. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees, who sees, who sees you, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I'll just leave that there. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Your Father sees, your Father knows. Your father sees. Your father knows. At the core of the spiritual disciplines, disciplines are just this tweaking of our heart towards the kingdom of God. Spiritual disciplines help us to to submit to the way and the good loving rule of of Jesus in our lives. And, And prayer is one of the most fundamental ones. And Jesus says, pray so that you can cultivate relationship. Prayer is just... Cultivating relationship with God, right? Just cultivating relationship with Jesus, and he says, "Don't do it to be seen by others." I get super nervous in our social media-driven age when I see like quiet times popping up on my on my feed. And it's not that you can't ever post like a, a good like warm Jesus moment like that. That's not that's not what I'm saying at all. I just get. I just come back to be careful. Be careful. Do you you want to have that moment with Jesus so that other people know about it or so that you can grow in that intimacy, right? Just be so careful of the way that your heart is being shaped over time. Something as seemingly benign as a post on social media can actually be doing something to our heart in the same way that withholding from giving can be doing something to our heart. Prayer is hard, right? Prayer is universally <laughs> difficult. It's just it's tough to get into the pattern. It's tough to get into the rhythm or the discipline. Some would say there are some, some of you are natural prayer warriors. You're the folks in the congregation, you just gobble up prayer requests left and right. You love them. And you and you are so you're such a gift to This community, this specific community, but also the broader community, because you just pray day and night, and that is wonderful. You are such a gift, and it doesn't come that easily to a lot of us, though, right? I imagine there's a couple people in the congregation that that come to your mind, like the folks that just gobble up prayer requests, the ones that, that are just on their knees all the time. There's somebody who comes to your mind, I'm sure, but for you, for me, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. Wouldn't it be nice then if there was a point in Scripture where Jesus was like, here, pray like this? Lo and behold, we have that very thing. (laughs) I've struggled with prayer in my life. And I just have to say, there... um, there has been a great security that has come from structured prayers for me. Whether it be the Lord's Prayer that we're about to look at now or, or going through some old prayer books, the Book of Common Prayer, some older, like, more liturgical like prayer um, helps. Sometimes just reading the words of another is what helps me get into a right heart space, a right mind space to pray. And that's a good and wonderful thing. Sometimes we, it feels like we need to like, conjure something up on our own. No. Let the faithfulness of others guide you along, bolster you along in your prayer life. And specifically, let's use the one that Jesus said that we ought to use. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are holy. All, the, all good theology starts right here, the holiness of God, the otherness of God. The Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of this one true, holy God. And the moment we begin to reduce God to our level, the moment that we begin to make God in our image rather than acknowledging that we are made in God's image, the moment we begin to chip away at the holiness of God in our minds, we start to go down a slippery slope. It's pretty easy for us to become kings of our own worlds in a world where God is not as holy. Our Father heaven hallowed be holy is your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your kingdom not ours by the way jesus prayed this right jesus took his own advice in the garden at the most painful, the most betrayed moment of his life, the, most, the lowest moment of his life. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is, in heaven. There's no way. A, a criti- an old, like tired critique of Christianity is of Christians is that we're we're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And if we are heavenly minded at all, we ought to be we ought to have hands dirty with the stuff of life, right? The, the Lord's Prayer is not just an idea to pray, it's a it's a practice for our daily lives. Your kingdom come right here and right now. Help me to be the one who is doing it here. We are experts at concocting phony kingdoms, at bowing to false kings, right? The list could go on forever. The things that we like to build up as kingdoms in our lives, and Jesus says, pray that the kingdom of God, the one true kingdom will come. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Could we have some manna? One of my favorite authors is uh, Annie Dillard, and she writes in her book about writing, she has this little line that says, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. We like to imagine our lives as, well. we're always governed by our vision of what our life is going to be like, but sometimes we get lost in those thoughts of what our life could be like, and it doesn't actually match the rhythm of the the day-to-day stuff that we're actually doing. So I'm going to be an NBA star. It's like, but I am not playing basketball at all right now. Hard, hard for those things to go together, right? There is a dailiness to the walk with God that is essential and it's not pretty and it's wonderful and it's kind of muddy. This is is the disciplines. This is the spiritual disciplines. This is our daily bread, right? It is, we're called to a a clunky faithfulness, not some flashy, like, not some flashy spirituality that is exciting all the time. No, most of life is not exciting. And Jesus is saying, pray that you have the oomph for today. The faithfulness for today. Today is, is your daily bread. That's what the manna was. It was just enough for today. Just enough for today. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the only line in in the prayer that gets a footnote. Jesus comes down to the end of the prayer and goes in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. This sounds very similar to the idea from the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Why? Because it's it's only the kind of person who knows how to show mercy who can receive mercy. And similarly, in this prayer, we're, we're reminded... It is very difficult for us to receive genuine forgiveness when we cannot say out loud, I forgive you, to one who has hurt us. The impetus is on us to be able to say, I forgive you. And as we learn how to say that, saying those three words together, I forgive you, it's one of the most tangible expressions of the gospel that we can experience here and now. That's something I've come to believe over time. It's one of the most tangible expressions of the gospel we can have. I forgive you. And as we do that, as we take that risk, it always feels scary saying those words. It doesn't matter how intimate the relationship is. It always feels like you're risking something when you say that. And it's that risk, it's that place of dependence that Jesus wants to to meet us and say, I forgive. pushing us to a place of risk, to a place of dependence so that he can come and meet us there as well. And the final line of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've all got our stuff. We've all got the stuff that tempts us one direction or Another. And we all know the places in which we get tempted, the times, the situations, the places that we are vulnerable. Jesus says, pray for deliverance from it and then go walk into that deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Hand those, hand those areas, hand those places of weakness over to Jesus, and then watch for opportunities to walk in obedience after that prayer that you've prayed. The tricky thing about this is, Lord, give me opportunities to forgive. That's going to put you in some tough situations in which sticky things are going to happen and you're going to actually have to say, I forgive you. And that's not fun. Lord, deliver me from temptation. You're going to have to actually get in a moment that you don't want to be in and say, God, I believe that you are here to deliver me from this. And then just keep walking in it. It's, it's, it's clunky, it's not, it's not pretty, but it is daily, and it is exactly what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to the discipline of giving so that we can be dependent on him. He's calling us to the discipline of prayer so that we can nurture relationship with him. And he's calling us to maybe one we don't talk about quite as much, which is fasting. Look at verse sixteen. When you fast, big assumption. Jesus, hey, <laughs> when you fast, okay. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their war reward in full. They have everything they want. They're getting. There's people recognizing them on the street, like, "Oh, you must be fasting. Yeah, look at you, terrible haggard thing." <laughs> You must be holy to be fasting for that long. It's just a person who's gone without coffee for three hours, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Read here, take a shower. Like, take, just take a shower. Look, look, like, look presentable. Try a little bit. So that it will not be obvious to others. This is about not being seen, right? So it won't be obvious to others when you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you fasting is about learning not to be a slave to anything, not to be taken in by anything I can't live without what what, what do you fill in the blank with there? is that a thing that's standing between you and dependence on Jesus? there's a lot of different directions we can go with that. We all know the thing that it is for us. Can you take a break? Can you take a break? Like giving, fasting puts us right back in a state of dependence. It's I, I'm not going to muster up the energy to meet my own needs, what I think are my needs, what meet my own desires in this moment, but trust that God holds my heart and wants to fulfill, actively wants to fulfill me, if I could just learn to let go. Learning to fast on on a regular basis from something that is just a bugaboo for you, or or something, something simple. I mean, it could be just taking a day off from eating. Well, I would get, exactly, exactly take a break and notice what it does to your heart. Be a slave to nothing. Put yourself in a place of dependence upon Jesus again. Before we move on to the back half of this chapter, I want to just point out this idea of secrecy, this idea of the importance of a private walk with God, a walk with God where I don't have to be seen. I don't I just have to say, it, it's it's hard to go overlooked, right? It's super hard to feel like you've done good work in an area for a long time and not get recognized. Only to see some other person swoop in at the last minute and get get credit. That it just it doesn't feel good. It's hard to be overlooked. And we do get overlooked on a human level, but we do not get completely overlooked. Notice the refrain throughout these disciplines. Verse four, your father who sees, who sees you. Verse six, then your father who sees you. Verse 8, then your father who knows you. Verse 18, then your father who sees you. This is tough, right? To, to trust that being seen by God is enough. I don't think I have the maturity to like lean on that fully most days. But over time, as these disciplines work their way into our hearts, as this heart habit cycle keeps going, and daily we, we submit to God's loving rule, we can submit to the disciplines, to the things that he is calling us to, we may just find that in six months, it's a little bit easier to trust that God sees when other people don't. It's a It's a, long, it's a slow burn. It's training for a marathon. I, t- I teach Hebrew uh, at, at Bushnell, and we, we've been hitting this t- week 10, 11, like language learning fog, and the, and the students are feeling it, and I'm feeling it because they're, they're feeling it, and they're frustrated, and some want to be going faster, and some want to be going slower, and I was like, the, the antidote for wanting to go faster or wanting to go slower is just like showing up today to do the work that you're called to do today there's no worthwhile thing there's no good and lasting thing in our lives that comes overnight we got to we got to work towards it slowly got to work towards it slowly. That's how it is with learning a language. That's how it is with training for a marathon. I just signed up for the Eugene Half Marathon, which is in April. I've been, uh, as I shared last week, I've been eating more pizza than I have been uh, running. And so I figured if I just give somebody my money and say, I am going to run that race, that will help me get into the habit a little bit more. But the truth is, I could not. I could maybe like move my body 13.1 miles, like I can maybe do that right now, but I would most assuredly get injured in a very significant way if I did that. What stands between me and that end of April race is just some like not-so-pretty runs, I'm just getting back into it, I'm just getting back into a habit, into a discipline of it. These disciplines are good for our heart. They nudge us kingdom word, which is good because the life of faith in the kingdom of God, um, it's going to push us to some places that we we have to make some choices, which is what the rest of this chapter is about. Some pretty, like, are we in or are we out sort of choices. Where... (laughs) Where will we find our security? There's another way to think about it. Another way to frame what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Where are we going to find it? Are we going to find it in material stuff? Are we going to find it in the American dream, kind of like working itself out, if I found some comfort? Or is it going to be in actually trusting what Jesus says? Let's look at the text. Look at verse 19. Do not... Do not, not, be careful not to. We, we transitioned here, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, but store up for yourselves. We're going to have to make a choice between material comfort and what? Treasures in heaven. The stuff that God sees and other people don't, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy these do not break in and steal are you building your life towards a lasting thing that's what Jesus is saying for where your treasure is there your heart will be also this is the heart habit cycle right notice that Jesus does not say where your heart is there your treasure will be also that is true but that's not what he says here he says where your treasure is that's where your heart is all you all the information that you need about the condition of your heart is just to look at what what you regularly do with your money look at what you regularly do with your resources i think we could put even our time our talents into this into this bundle how are you giving of yourself over time that is the place that your heart is are you going to choose a temporary happy a fleeting comfort here it may feel real, and it is to an extent. Are you going to choose that, or are you choose something that's lasting? Now, I, I want to be clear here. This isn't saying don't ever save. <laughs> it's, not, it's not saying any of that. Be wise with, with your money, of course. But be careful. Be careful that your heart's not getting too attached to the stuff. I looked up shopping therapy as I was preparing for uh, for this message. And I started, started reading things that hit a little too close to home. I was like, this is about me. I'd, I would rather not keep reading this now. <clears throat> but I'm sure somebody else deals uh, with it too, so I'll, I'll share. I mean, shopping therapy, it's what we do. I had a rough day. I'm feeling feeling bad. Rough season, low season. I want to feel in control of something. I want to feel some measure measure of like pleasure. Yeah, like you don't even have to get up from your couch. Like you can just get on, get on your phone and buy something. It's like, oh, I feel a little bit better. And then you give it like three seconds and you're like, ah, I don't know if I should have done that. And Right? Yeah. Glad to know I'm not the only one. Thank you for your laps. It's an indicator of where our treasure is, right? There's choices to be made. Treasure in heaven? Treasure on earth or light or darkness is these next two verses. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's a countenance thing. It's a very like Hebrew idea. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Treasures in heaven, treasure on earth. Light, dark, and finally God or money. No one can serve two masters. Not be careful to try to serve one master, but nobody can do it. No one can pull it off. Zero people have been successful at serving two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Which two masters, Jesus? Let me tell you, you cannot serve both God and money. It's the thing that Jesus keeps on harping on time and time again. And I think we ought to harp on it maybe a little bit more. If Jesus is super interested in the way we spend our money, I think we ought to be as well. Nobody can fully give themselves to God and be perpetually obsessed with finances. There's no fence sitting here. And the word that is translated uh, money for my NIV, you you might have a different word in your translation. might say mammon. Mammon is the actual original term here, which is is an old Aramaic idea that didn't really even have a a Greek equivalent when it got into uh, the New Testament Greek text. It was just this idea not so much of what money is, but what money can do. It was considered by some in this time actually to be even like a demonic force of the sort of power that money can have in our lives. Money can begin to take over in the way, in the way that we are supposed to submit to God as, as king. We can easily end up giving that same level of devotion to security, comfort, wealth, Mammon is that that idea, that proclivity to give our attention, our devotion to comfort. But you can't do that and follow Jesus faithfully at the same time. There's not a whole lot of room for faith and (laughs) fence-sitting to go hand in hand. and one final exhortation when you when you give up the obsession with comfort you can learn you and i can learn to let go of the worries that debilitate us each and every day verse 25 therefore i tell you don't worry about your life what you'll eat or drink or your body what you'll wear it's not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air you were wondering when the birds were going to come in they just came in there they are the only biblically sanctioned hobby right here look at the birds of the air Jesus wants you to be a birder right here in the text gosh love that Look at the, I actually had a few of you this morning be like, what's the bird going to be this week? I was like, oh, you got to wait. There's not a specific bird, but the birds will get there. I promise. Here they are. Look at the birds of the air. Gosh, what a great hobby. They do not sow or reap. There's a lesson to be learned, right? They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than a bird? Can any of you, and this is the more pointed question, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Uh, no, but we sure think we can. If I just like freak out about this thing for a little bit longer, maybe I'll have a little bit more time to deal with it without without actually realizing like the freaking out time is taking away from our time to be able to deal with it, right? Yes. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't buy more time with worry. Do you hear do you hear the common thread? That there's so many things to keep straight in this passage, but do you hear the common thread? Push Yourself to a point of dependence on Jesus. Give up your worry just for a day. Just try to give it up for a day. Hand it over and see what Jesus can do for your heart. And it keeps going. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Maybe this is Jesus saying, "Get into flowers or botany or something i don 't know. I do find it interesting though, that in the midst of this passage on worry and, and anxiety and the things that we get all cut up in, Jesus gives two outside examples. There are increasing amounts of studies that just that, that show us that just getting our bodies outside regularly is super good for our hearts and super good for our Our mental health. There was a study at the University of Exeter in 2019 that that showed if you just get outside 15, an, an average of 15 minutes a day, a little over three hours a week, the benefits for your mental health will be staggering. And we live in such a beautiful place. I know it's a little cold right now, but we can go outside. If you want to learn to let go of the worries that bog you down, just Put your faith in Jesus. Yeah, but also maybe just go on a walk. Go on a walk. I tell you, these flowers—that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like him. That's how God closes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. Will He not much more clothe you? Do you not know how much He cares for you? So don't worry, saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear?" The pagans run after all these things. These things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but what? Seek first his kingdom. This is a popular verse, right? We've heard this one a thousand times. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It it feels a little bit different coming at it in context, doesn't it? Coming at it in the flow of this passage where we're being pushed to the brink of our comfort zones. We're being pushed outside of a world that we know and like a lot and pushed into faith, into a posture of dependence. In that context, seek first God's kingdom and trust that all these things will be added to you. It's not that God ever wants to deprive you of goodness. And that's where we get hung up sometimes. We're like, well, well I'm not quite sure if Jesus... I'm not quite sure if, if I'm going to experience happiness. I'm not quite sure if I'm going to experience X, Y, and Z in this life. And and we just have to know... Remember back to the Beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. That That is what the call of Jesus is for your life. He wants blessing to rule and reign in your daily life experience but the the counterintuitive thing the upside down thing is that we find it by not going after it but by going after Jesus we spend so much effort following these phony kingdoms right and that kingdom of comfort rules in our day for sure but seek first his kingdom his upside down way his inside out way his daily discipline way and know that the blessing is coming know that he sees what no one else does know that he cares when no one else does all these things will be given to you as well and we will spend most of our days <laughs> proving this right or wrong right we will spend most of our days seeking first that kingdom or seeking all these things. The way of faith does not is not terribly compatible with with fence sitting. And yet there there is great grace for fence sitters, because we all are, right? We wanna dip our toe in, but we're not quite sure this life of faith is is something that we can fully Commit to and and Jesus in His grace at whatever point of your faith journey that you come in here this morning. Jesus wants to say, I love you, grateful that you're here, happy about you just being. Will you not begin to make some choices, some difficult choices? Say, God. I'm going to let this faith thing play out. I'm going to trust that your blessing is better than my my here and now comfort. I'm going to trust it. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't we know that to be true? Each day has enough trouble of its own. We can't make that trouble go away by seeking all these things here. And now, by worrying ourselves into it. Last week, we closed with a couple of sort of open-ended questions. Today, I want to be a little bit more to the point with our closing questions. First, if if we're going to take Jesus seriously about money, let's start start with a pointed question about it. What does your stuff say about your heart? <laughs> What does your stuff say about your heart? Can you can you go back over the last like month of purchases and draw a line between what what you're accumulating and where your heart is? Are you just accumulating stuff for the sake of accumulating? What does your stuff say about your heart? It's a good reflection question. What kingdom do you prefer over God's? What kingdom are we, what phony kingdom are we concocting that is at odds? What other master have we yielded to? And finally, which which is spiritual discipline? Which of these disciplines this morning? Giving or prayer or fasting. The, the, the last thing we should do is hear like, oh, I've got a bunch of disciplines. I'm going to start them all tomorrow morning. No, no, no. But which one right now, given given where your heart's at before Jesus, like which one do you need to just like make those small little tweaks, heavenward, kingdomward? What would be help? What would be a helpful habit for your heart <laughs> to just get a little bit more like the upside down way of Jesus? I'm gonna ask the the band to come up. We're gonna. We're gonna to sing together. There's gonna to be a few folks up here. If you want to come and pray with someone, if you're feeling prompted in a particular direction, like God, I've been I've been closed off in this area of my life, and I want to give that. A, I want a habit that's going to have it. That's gonna get me going the right direction. There's gonna be folks who will be up here to pray with you. I encourage you to do that. Um, let's let's pray. Hmm. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you uh, push us to uncomfy spots. And I pray that you would um, comfort us in the places where we are inclined towards uh, fear or shame or any of that. or may we be reminded that you are not at any point disappointed when the, with us, but always longing for something better for us, even better than what we want for ourselves. So let us trust that that better is in your hands and just run right into your hands. Teach us a deep dependence on you. Jesus' name, amen.